Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Monday, November 13th. I'm Hannah Floor. Southeast Alaska's House District 2 representative Rebecca Himshoot was back in Petersburg last week to talk with constituents. She will be starting her second legislative session in January. Himshoot spent some of her summer visiting all 21 communities in her district. She told KFSK people brought up the same two concerns in Petersburg that they do all over the district. Ferries are top of mind, so that continues to be a huge thing. And then people are pretty concerned about education funding. I think everyone is pretty clear that we really need an increase in the BSA to be a permanent increase that schools can count on. That's, you know, I'm not going to call it a permanent fix because there's so much more to education than just the funding, but none of the rest of it can happen without the funding. So um, an increase to the base student allocation is probably my number one priority going forward. Um, The ferries are an ongoing issue, and so I don't want to say it's a secondary issue. They're probably equally important in this region, Um, but the ferries are kind of in progress, and um, I have reasons for optimism with the ferries. We have a really excellent director right now, came from private industry, and is bringing a, a whole career of experience into sort of refurbishing and rebuilding the ferry system. Um, there's some funding to do it, thanks to Senator Murkowski. The other thing that makes me optimistic is the the chairs for transportation in the House and Senate have both had conversations with me in which they express support for the ferries and an understanding of how important the ferries are for our region. So all of that comes together to make me think we're going in the right direction. It just isn't going to be fast. It's something where people have been... Um, I would say beyond patient over the last several years, people will advocate over and over for the ferries, and we've just watched it decline and decline and decline. And I think the decline is more or less arrested right now. You know, we have the staff issues and the aging vessels, so we're still not anywhere near having great service. But I think we're going to bounce and begin to build it back up. So the um, AMHS is in a a long-range planning process, and that makes everybody crazy because planning. It's just another binder on a shelf. But um, you do have to have a plan in order to make sure you don't have docks that don't match vessels and vessels that can't dock everywhere and parts that aren't universal across vessels. And so that planning process is potentially going to lead to a solid path going forward. Um, And people are just going to have to be patient another few years and we should start to see it turn around. Okay. Um, what challenges do you anticipate this session? Um, well, I mean, there's the obvious gigantic challenge of it being the second half of the legislature. So the 33rd legislature will come to an end, we hope, in May. And that means that every bill that's in play right now and any bills that are added are on the table. And whatever bill doesn't get passed dies and has to be introduced in the 34th legislature. So people are going to um, be in there, you know, going to the mat for their bill. So as we come to the end, there's a lot of Uh, grappling over which things should actually get through in this legislature. But then it seems like it would be a good problem to have. The price of oil has been high, and that's probably going to result in about a billion extra dollars for the state, which is great news. Um, There will be a lot of fighting about what should happen with that. So I've already heard rail belt colleagues talking about, so to speak, solving Anchorage's energy crisis. And when you're in rural Alaska, it's kind of hard to think about it an energy crisis in the rail belt, you know, like look at the prices that most rural Alaskans pay. And of course, Petersburg and SEPA 
Um, those prices aren't as high here, but in a lot of parts of this district and certainly out in western Alaska, the prices of energy are extremely high. So when Anchorage says they want help with their energy crisis, I put that in quotes, energy crisis, it's um, um, hard for me to get behind needing to make a solution that serves just that portion of the state. Mm-hmm. So having a little bit of extra money is an opportunity, but with opportunity comes quite a bit of, I guess, wrangling over whose opportunity is it. So I'd, I'd like to find capital projects or um, deferred maintenance across the state because there's a lot of it. So if we have a little bit of extra one-time money, how can we equitably share that across the state and, and really help all regions? You announced that you're running again in 2024. Correct. Why is that? So when I got to Juno, it's been an incredible honor so far to serve. And learning about each of the 21 communities and each community's needs has been incredibly helpful, but I don't feel like I've been able to do much about it yet. And so as I climb that steep learning curve, I think I'll become more effective at being able to actually craft policies that serve my region, protect my region from policies that are bad. Um, but it takes time. I don't think as a first-year legislator that um, that I knew everything I needed to know, and I'm still learning. Uh, so I think it's a job that requires more than a year or two of service to actually be able to to do the things that need to be done for the region. So I'm committed. I'm I want to I want to continue. That was Alaska State Representative Rebecca Hemshute of House District Two speaking with KFSK. Wrangell's leaders are starting to grapple with how to change local court culture and code compliance. This comes after years of lax policy enforcement. Sage Smiley reports. Walk around the populated areas of Wrangell and you'll see a good number of derelict boats and vehicles growing thick layers of moss. You might run into a dog wandering the streets alone. Both occurrences are illegal according to local code, but the statutes haven't been consistently enforced for years. One of the, the major complaints I got on the new assessments was, you know, Mayor, you're not cleaning up the property next to me. Wrangell Mayor Patty Gilbert says she's received some pushback after the borough reassessed properties and saw values jump almost 50% this year. Wrangell police say last year they hauled close to 70 junk cars from lots and roads around town and there are many more. It's a culture, they say, and one that wouldn't be fixed by installing meters on a few streets in town. At a work session in late summer, the borough assembly staff and police department met to discuss how to begin addressing a long-standing culture of non-compliance with local nuisance codes. Assemblymember Dave Powell said he thinks changing the tide and more aggressively enforcing penalties will be a nightmare, at least at the beginning. I mean, it's, it's going to be a mess for a while. We know that. Everybody knows that. Powell said he supports the idea of creating a code enforcement panel that would deal with non-compliant citizens. Here's where we sit and kind of go by, if there's a complaint, we deal with it, blah, blah, blah. Well, we've had so many complaints throughout the years, nothing's ever been done. Right. So, I mean, to me, I mean, the, the complaints are irrelevant. They're already out there. Right. It's just that so people are so tired of complaining because we get stopped. <laughs> When it comes to nuisance rubbish, Wrangell's local code is clear. Property owners or lessees can't indiscriminately store junk vehicles, debris, equipment parts, or lumber on residential or industrial lots. People in violation of the ordinance can be fined up to $100 per offense or up to $500. But those amounts haven't changed since 1995 and will likely be raised by the Assembly as part of a future crackdown on rubbish. But 
The focus of borough officials isn't the money, says Police Chief Tom Radke. I, I think once we get going in education, we're not here to have a revenue stream. We're just here to improve the town. It just, it's like a building block. There are also a variety of fines for dog violations that aren't always enforced. Dogs are supposed to be licensed, not be too loud or rowdy, and be kept on a leash in public. Radke says compliance with those requirements is an ongoing problem. If we pick a dog up, we do require a license. And there's a big difference between just opening the door and letting your dog out. And we do have people that call and say, hey, my dog got out. I mean, right. if you're actively looking for it, it happens. I get it. But when it's the same dog, we got two dogs that come up just for treats. They come knocking at the front door. And they're like, okay, come meet your dog. You know? But even for the police department tasked with enforcing the ordinances, it can be difficult on the ground. You know, like I said, I still get two or three that they come by because they want a treat. And right. The ones across the street, he comes over and pauses the door. because Well, see, I, I think uh, you're the problem. After discussion, Mayor Patty Gilbert suggested a two-pronged approach to shifting the borough's expectations of code enforcement, establishing a code enforcement panel, and a public information campaign to inform the public about their responsibilities and rights when it comes to nuisance codes. The six-member panel will likely include representatives from the police department, capital facilities, planning and zoning, and potentially the fire department, any borough department that could be dealing with enforcing code requirements, as well as a member at large. And a public information campaign could also lay groundwork to address other widely held misunderstandings about homeowner responsibilities, like who's in charge of shoveling sidewalks when it's snowy out. Spoiler, that's a homeowner's responsibility. Although Mayor Gilbert supports pursuing code enforcement, she said she's also concerned about indiscriminate application and the stalled development of new industrial lots. What appears to be junk to me might be somebody's retirement project, you know, their old car that they're going to refurbish. Um, I regret that we don't have additional space right now in our industrial park. That may help some people because they don't have a place to move something that they really want to keep. There isn't a timeline for when Wrangell might stand up a code enforcement panel or crack down on rubbish or wandering dogs. Although the laws are in the books, enforcement is easier said than done. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. A record number of cruise ship passengers visited Juneau this year. It meant a busier downtown and more complaints from locals. As KTOO's Katie Anastas reports, even local business owners say it was hard to keep up. A record 1.64 million cruise ship passengers visited Juno this year. Alexandra Pierce is Juno's tourism manager. That is about 40% growth from last season and about 30% growth from our previous busiest year ever, which was 2019. Pierce says that while this year's number may have felt surprising, it's in keeping with pre-pandemic predictions. In 2019, passenger numbers were expected to keep growing steadily year over year. And then the pandemic hit. We took a few years off and all of the people that were projected to be here for 2023 came, but we didn't ramp up into that. Pierce says more tourists meant more complaints from residents this year. Downtown Juneau felt busier than ever, and not just because the sheer number of visitors was up. Another reason was the lack of tour bus trips to the Mendenhall Glacier. Tour operators sold out halfway through the season, which meant more tourists stayed downtown. 
Pierce says business owners had mixed feelings about the increased foot traffic. We heard from business owners that they were doing well financially. We also heard from some business owners and people who have been in the industry for a long time that this kind of feels like Juno's capacity and we're not sure that we want to see the industry grow anymore. Kyle Sage works at Mount Juno Trading Post, which sells handmade drums and ivory carvings, along with souvenir jewelry. He says he sometimes ran out of certain items this season. It was intense. Um, at times it was shoulder to shoulder in the, in the shop. Sage says he usually reorders merchandise once each season. This year was different. Normally I'd do one reorder. Um, this summer I was calling reps, I think I called them two or three times at least, <laughs> to, to try and stay ahead of the game, right? Um, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. <laughs> I think I'm still waiting on orders I ordered in like August, September. He's already thinking about next year. He usually orders the bulk of his merchandise in January or February so it can arrive in April. But they're moving the boats forward, I think, next summer, our first boats, like April 8th. Um, so I'll be looking to get a March delivery. Um, so it means I should be doing my orders relatively soon. Further down Franklin Street, Tunke Asener runs Pandora's Box, which sells colorful Turkish lamps, jewelry, and leather goods. He plans to keep the store open year-round, and he thinks the busy tourist season may have kept locals away this summer. Local people, they don't want to come to mostly summertime because it's so busy because of the too many tourists, that's why. Uh, I would be very happy uh, to see my local people in my show. Next year's season will be Juno's first with a limit of five large ships per day. Pierce thinks Tuesdays in particular will feel less hectic. Our busiest Tuesdays this summer were about 21,000 passengers, which is a shocking number of people. Our busiest Tuesdays next summer will be about 17,000. So still heavy days, but um, it'll reduce the maybe fever pitch that, that we saw in some of the busiest days this year. Next year's season will also be a couple of weeks longer. The first ship is scheduled for April 8th, and the last is scheduled for October 24th. But Pierce says bigger ships and ships with fewer empty beds have contributed more to growth than longer shoulder seasons have. The city will spend the next few weeks surveying Juno residents about the season. Pierce says those results, along with results of a visitor survey, will be ready for review by the Juno Assembly in early April. In Juno, I'm Katie Anastas. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.